the last Wednesday night that I had preached, a few services back, we preached a message to you that we entitled The Tale of Two Churches. Um, and we looked at the church at Jerusalem in view of the Great Commission that they were given and how they handled that Great Commission and how that they came short of fulfilling the command that God had given them. And then we had a little bit of time to look at the church at Antioch and how that they seemed to take that Great Commission and move forward with it. But we, we really just kind of touched the hem of the garment, just kind of scratched the surface looking at the church at Antioch. And so uh, what we're going to do tonight, I'm going to give you just a brief review to sort of freshen your memory of what we said about the church at Jerusalem. And then we're going to pick up with our look at the church at Antioch. And then uh, we'll conclude the message of the tale of two churches. Um, when we looked at the church at uh, Jerusalem, we began by reading the Great Commission found there in Matthew chapter number 28, verse 18 through 20. That's where they're given the Great Commission. It was the great opportunity given to this first church at Jerusalem. We call that the Great Commission. We said that now in our day, it's often the great omission, but it is a commission. We are commanded. Um, and then we talked about they're missing the opportunity given them because of their problems. And we looked at a series of problems that was said were present at the church at Jerusalem, but none of those problems were what we would necessarily consider being a problem in a church today. But oftentimes, that is the case that something that at face value appears to be a good thing and maybe in and of itself is a good thing. Um, but if we're not careful sometimes as individuals and as churches, we can take those things and our view of them or maybe our obsession over them uh, can cause them to be problematic with us fulfilling the will of God for our lives, again, as individuals or as churches. Um, we talked about the fact that they had a miracle problem. There was a multitude of miracles that were taking place. In Acts chapter number 3, the lame man at the temple was healed. Then in Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John miraculously were released by the Sanhedrin. Then in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John again arrested but released through um, the church praying for them. Now miracles, uh, there's listen, there's nothing wrong with miracles. Now, I don't want to get all off into that, but we don't believe in, we, we do believe in divine healing. If you catch common cold and you get over it, beloved, that's divine healing. Any healing is divine. We just don't ascribe to the notion of divine healers. Um, and sometimes, it may, well, it may have been here that they got so focused on the miracles that the Great Commission seemed to be put uh, in a, in, in a, on a back burner in their mind. And then we said that they not only had a miracle problem, but they had a money problem. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45 tells us that uh, the church, many people there in the church sold all of their possessions and distribution was made as needed among the church. And then in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, verse 34 to 37, um, there's church members selling houses, giving everything that they have. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. there Again, there are people in our day that would tell you that if you're to be a true Christian, that's what you must do. 
But that's not even what it said in the book of Acts. Uh, with Ananias and Sapphira, did they not say, you could have kept the money, it was yours to do with what you wanted to, but you chose to lie to the Holy Ghost. We're not commanded as believers to sell all of our worldly possessions and uh, give it to the church. If you wanted to do that, I suppose you could, but they seemed to have an excess. They, they had an excess, if you will. There was an abundance of of money. I've seen many churches with money problems, but I've seen very few that had the type of problem that Jerusalem had. And then we said they had a multiplying problem. Um, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, there was 120 present. And then in chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 souls are baptized. Then in the fourth chapter, verse 4, about 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were saved. And then in the sixth chapter and the second verse, um, there's no longer numbers given. It's just referred to as a great multitude. Now, we wouldn't dare say that there's a problem with people um, being born again. There's absolutely no problem with people being united with a local New Testament church. Um, but if you've been in church very long, you've seen instances where church where God seemed to begin to move in a church and, and really begin to add people to the church. And if we're not careful, we are so, uh, we are so Adamic. Our, our, our natural man, our Adamic nature, uh, we'll get to thinking that we've got a monopoly on this thing. We'll get to thinking that we're really something special. Um, and, and, um, and so they had this multiplying problem, and, and it appears, it would appear to me, uh, that there was everything that you could think you would ever need or want in a church was present there in Jerusalem, and they seemed to just get over the fact that they were told to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then what did we say happened? There was that um, great uh, chastening that took place. There was a disturbance over distribution in Acts chapter number 6. You remember the widows. There was a distribution, a disturbance over distribution. Some felt that the, uh, uh, the, the Grecians or the Gentile widows were being slided and somehow that the Jewish widows were receiving more and there began to be bickering. Who could imagine that? Bickering and squabbling over petty things inside a, inside a church. Who's ever heard of such a notion? You do catch my sarcasm, don't you? Then we had the death of the disciple in Acts chapter number seven, the, the, the disciple of Stephen, that first Christian martyr. <coughs> and then of course, we know that Saul of Tarsus was uh, there, not only there, but he was the ringleader. He was consenting unto the death um, of Stephen, and that was a vital blow to that church there in Jerusalem. And then thirdly, there was the dread of the disciples, whom we just mentioned by name, Saul of Tarsus. He wreaked havoc on the church of God. I was just looking in my Bible earlier this week where, where the Apostle Paul, looking back over his pre-conversion times as Saul of Tarsus, uh, and he said, I wasted the church of God. I wasted it. He laid it low. He wreaked havoc upon it. Um, but then somehow, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of their stiff-neckedness and in the midst of their... Um, slowness to obey the command of God and and oftentimes delayed obedience is nothing more than disobedience and 
But even in the midst of that, God still cares for them. And not only that, he accomplishes his will through his chastening of them. He's a big enough God to do that. We told you how that um, in Acts chapter number 8, <clears throat> how that you see that Ethiopian eunuch saved, how uh, Philip went and preached unto him. And, of course, he was a descendant of Ham. He was a Hamite. And then how that in the very next chapter, the ninth chapter, how God saved Saul of Tarsus, who was a descendant of Shem. And then in the tenth chapter, Cornelius saved, and he was a descendant of Japheth. And how God, right there in three chapters, just one after the other, uh, saved three souls, and those three together were representative uh, of the, the the patriarchs of the entire human race. Um, and God was accomplishing his will there. And um, and so that's what we see taking place there with the church at Jerusalem. Now we pick up tonight, I told you we would begin in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. Uh, and when, uh, when we conclude reading, we'll conclude with verse number 26, but we'll start Acts chapter 11, verse number 19, and we're going to look at the church at Antioch's birth. This is where Antioch comes onto the scene. Verse number 19, Acts chapter 11. Now when there were, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things come into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. So you see in what's happening here. God's saving people down here at Antioch, and words making it all the way back to Jerusalem. We're still in verse number 22, about halfway. It says, and they sent forth Barnabas, that being the church at Jerusalem, sends Barnabas there to Antioch, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. And, and I don't mean to keep pausing in my reading, but I cannot read this verse, but what I don't get happy myself. I don't mean to lift it out of context, but it says who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. Have you ever met anybody that when they seen the grace of God wasn't glad? I bet you was glad when you seen it in your life. Hallelujah for the grace of God. It says, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So what we see here in verse 19 through 26 of Acts chapter 11, <coughs> excuse me, is we're seeing the birth of this church at Antioch. Now, Jerusalem is still on the scene. Now, what has happened at Jerusalem, one of the things we didn't mention earlier, 
Um, but when that great persecution came about, Saul was, uh, he played a vital role in that, but that persecution came about and they were dispersed all abroad. And of course, we just read some of that, how that they went everywhere preaching and teaching and God sort of forced them at least to begin the process of, of uh, trying to fulfill the great commission. But God's already seeming as if, and I'm not trying to say that God was done with and completely wrote incubate over the door down at Jerusalem, but what I am saying is that God is starting to use the church at Antioch. And, and we're going to look at tonight how that Antioch seemed uh, to be opposite of the church at Jerusalem. Antioch, we don't have any knowledge of Antioch having any of these things that we called problems as it related to Jerusalem that most anybody would call blessings. We don't really have a lot of evidence of any of those things being present necessarily at Antioch. But Antioch, i tell you what they did do. They seemed to take advantage of everything that God allowed them to have and used it for the glory and honor of God. Did any of y'all remember your mothers or grandmothers saying, waste not, want not? I used to have an old neighbor who said this. She's an Amish lady. She said, use it up, wear it out. Make it do or do without. I remember her saying that over and over and over. Do any of you remember growing up, maybe your parents or grandparents had hog killings? It's okay, it's just us. You can admit it. Anybody ever took part in those hog killings? We've had them at our house. Well, nowadays they've got to where when they kill hogs, they just skin them because that's so much easier. But we didn't have that privilege. We had to cook out lard. We had to make cracklings. You had to get everything that was there. They tried to get everything but the squeal. If they could have got the squeal, they'd have canned it. They didn't waste anything. And when I think of the church down at Antioch, that's what I think. They may have, I don't know, but I doubt they had the numbers that Jerusalem had. Don't know that they had the financial resources that Jerusalem had. I don't know. But what I do know is that they took what they had and they give every bit of it to God. And we're going to, you keep your Bible open and we're about to make a fast pace through the book of Acts and look at time after time where God blessed them by starting a local New Testament church through the ministry of the missionaries that the church down at Antioch sent out. Now, Acts chapter number 16, verse 11. We'll pick up there, Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 11. And we're going to read through verse number 15. Acts chapter 16, verse number 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and next day to Napoleus, and from there to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and the colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women, woman which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. 
Hallelujah. Thank God for opening hearts. I know I shouldn't pause so much when reading my text, but I get excited sometimes when I read things like that. Do you remember the glad day child of God? You had heard and heard and heard and heard again the gospel. But one day the Lord opened your eyes, opened your heart, and you seen that that you had not seen before. You comprehended that that you had not comprehended before. Hallelujah for the work of God in our lives. Whose heart, again, verse 14, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. What you have there is the beginning of the church at Philippi. In these few verses that we've read, Acts 16, 11 through 15, the apostle Paul and his companions there preaching a local New Testament church is started. Now, we know who sent them out, right? Antioch. You remember we read that a couple of weeks ago, how that the Lord said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for, for the work whereunto I have called them. And it said that they laid, that they fasted and they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And we told you that that word sent means more than just, uh, Y'all go. It means more than just, you know, good luck, guys. It's, it, it means uh, to send out with provisions, not just to tell them, go get them, Tiger, but to say, go get them, and we're with you. We're supporting you in the fashion that we do with missionaries here. When, when they mail out that check every month to those 20-some-odd missionaries that we support on a monthly basis, what we're telling them is we support you. We're with you. We, we are giving you this so that over there in the Philippines or India or the Indian reservation or wherever around the globe that they might be, we are sending provisions to them. We're enabling them. That's what Antioch had done for Paul and Barnabas. And as a result of that, they're able to meet with this group of women down on this creek bank, preach the word of God, the Holy Ghost prick hearts. People get saved. A local New Testament church started. Hallelujah. That's the biggest thing you'll ever be a part of. Go with me to the next chapter. Chapter number 17. <coughs> and the first verse, we'll read verse 1 through 4. Acts 17, verse 1 through 4. We'll see the church at Thessalonica started here. Now, when they had passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. So we see here they have left Philippi. They've made their way to Thessalonica and the same pattern, the same thing happens again. Paul always goes to the synagogue, preaches um, the Jews uh, as a general rule are going to reject and then he's going to take it to the Gentiles. And what happens here is a number of souls are saved. They're there in that town of Thessalonica 
and a New Testament church is birthed. That's how it happens, folks. There's no greater thing going on in the world than missions, and the heart of missions is always churches. God saving souls and establishing local New Testament churches. Now, let me clarify what I just said. There's other people that do other things other than go out and starting churches, and they are worthy ministries. And I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm saying that, uh, that seeing New Testament churches birthed is one of the grandest things uh, that you'll ever find taking place in the Word of God, and it's the biggest thing that you will ever have part in as a child of God. Did you know that, by the way, did you know this, that in America, this this is a little bit of an older stat. It could have changed, but if it has changed, I feel certain it would be for the worse. Did you know that in our nation, over a thousand churches close the doors every calendar year? And more than that number of Muslim mosques open in the same given period of time. There's an urgency about this matter of missions. There's a real urgency upon us, the people of God, to get the word of God out, to get the seed out of the barn, and to fulfill the Great Commission. Same chapter, chapter number 17. Let's go down to the 10th verse. Acts 17, verse number 10. And we're going to read through verse 12. Verse 10 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. What has happened here? Well, the same things happened that we just read about down at Philippi and down at Thessalonica. Now we're seeing that same thing happen at Berea. Who is doing this? Well, it's those same two men who earlier that the Holy Ghost of God said to the church at Antioch uh, to separate these two men unto them and they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And they are fulfilling the Great Commission. And every bit of this is an extension. I, I really want to labor at this and get this point across to you. Think upon this. Think upon this. When you pray and get guidance from the Lord and he directs you as to whatever figure he would have you contribute um, to faith promise missions and this local church's endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission, and you do that faithfully, and you go home and you pillow your head at night. Think about this now. This does something for me, and I hope it does something for you. If it doesn't light your fire, your wood's probably wet. Think about it. When you pillow your head on your pillow at night, somewhere yonder on the other side of the globe, the sun's high in the sky. And there's a missionary, whether it be Brother Sarah Polly or one of our Filipino missionaries or some other, they are actively doing the work of God. And they are laboring to win souls. They are giving out the gospel. Think about that. While we, no matter what we are doing, no matter the time of day, 
when we are readying ourselves in the morning to go about our daily activities or while we sit at the lunch table or late afternoon at supper, middle of the night, uh, the sun never sets on the ministry of a church who's actively involved in faith promise missions. It's a 24-7 thing. Have you ever thought about that, Brother Johnny? Sometimes you take that envelope and you put money in it, and some of that money winds up going way yonder on the other side of the ocean, somewhere on the other side of the world. And, and while you were sowing logs in the middle of the night, somebody got born again. And God was fully aware of it. And it goes to your account. Hallelujah for that. Thank God for men that will go and thank God for people that will send them. Meaning send them with provisions. Acts chapter number 18, verse number 1. Acts chapter 18, (coughs) excuse me, verse number 1. We're going to read a few verses here. Acts 18, verse number 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius lately, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was, pres- Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, is that scary words right there? When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Guess what just happened? You already know. Church at Corinth was just birthed because a missionary was sent because somebody back at Antioch said, God hadn't called me to be a missionary. God's not sending me to the mission field. I just work down here at the factory every day or I just work for the power company or I just work for the county. I don't have a big, you know, important story to tell, but God God allows me to give and I give And I send provisions to these men and these men take those provisions and they're good and godly stewards of them. And it allows these men to go down here to Corinth and preach. And these folks believe and they're birthed into the family of God. And God takes that little nucleus of believers and forms a local New Testament church. The great commission being executed. Hallelujah again. Church at Corinth is started. Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. 
And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Now, what you have here in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7, uh, is the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus being born there. Now, there's many things that we just read in that text that might crop up a lot of questions in your mind, and we don't have time to deal with them all tonight in the service, uh, but we could answer them for you after service if you wish to inquire about those things. But at Ephesus here, <coughs> again, these missionaries are sent, and they preach to these people at Ephesus. They're birthed into the family of God. A local New Testament church is born. I know you've got the point uh, you're seeing these churches birth. We've seen five churches birth, and I don't know if you paid attention to the names of all of these churches, uh, but four out of the five churches that we've shown you, their birth uh, have New Testament epistles pinned to them. And to me, that just underlines the importance that this church at Antioch understood the, the importance and the magnitude of the Great Commission that they busy themselves and they give themselves to, to carrying out the Great Commission because had they not have done those things, who knows, would these churches have been birthed? And if there had not been a church birthed in Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, I suppose there would be no need for an epistle to the Thessalonians, wouldn't you think? Or to the Corinthians and so on and so forth. So we have a good portion of our New Testament because somebody was faithful to give to missions. Missionaries were faithful to go out and do the work that God had called them to do. The last thing uh, that we want to see, if I can find what... Do y'all ever have trouble reading your own handwriting? I just didn't know if I was the only one that uh, ever had trouble doing that. What you're going to find is that these disciples, having made this huge circumference, the, you do know that the Apostle Paul actually, on three occasions, uh, what he known to be the entire world, of course, the Apostle Paul didn't know what the entire world was, but his his entire world, he traveled his entire world on t three different occasions, preaching to every ear that would hear. And on this occasion, do you know what they do after they make that tour? They go right back to Antioch. And they gather with the church there at Antioch. Oh, uh, we would call it a furlough is what we would call it. They come home and they report back to the church at Antioch and they're able to tell those folks at Antioch, look, we know that you think you're just a common everyday Joe. You think that, 
that, you know, you don't have an exciting or an important life because you just get up and go to work and feed your family and go to church. But look, we want you to know because you sent us, meaning sent with provisions, we want you to know, look, we were able to start a church down at, down at Thessalonica. And we started a church at Berea and we started a church at Philippi and we started a church at Corinth and there's people all over the world now that are saved and there's local New Testament churches there and those churches are sending people out day by day witnessing to people in that locality and more people are being born again. They're discipling them and they're going out and doing the same thing. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. That God would let us have a part. It's humbling to me. I think oftentimes when people don't fully grasp the concept of missions, they think, man, this is just one more thing that the church is trying to get a nickel out of me for. But to think that God would let us have a part. I have resolved myself to the notion I will never be a Billy Sunday. I will never be a George Whitfield. It may well be that the Lord allows me to uh, to live the rest of my life as a bivocational pastor, a church member, and that I'm perfectly fine with that. But I want to tell you, it thrills my heart that the God of glory gives me an opportunity and my family an opportunity to take part in faith promise missions and get the gospel around the world, to know, for my family to know missionaries' names. You realize how many folks have been a member of a Baptist church all of their life and they've never even met a missionary or know his name or any of his family's name? And you know them tonight, different ones, calling out missionaries' names. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. I want to wrap it up with this. The end of the tale. I'm not going to go to further scriptures. I'm just going to explain to you what happened. There winds up being a dearth throughout the world. And of course, Antioch and Samaria, Ethiopia, etc., they all um, are, are affected by it to one extent or another. It's a worldwide, so far as they know, dearth that's taking place. And you've read account of where they took up collections for the saints at Jerusalem and took back to them. Um, could it be, could it be that because these churches followed the Great Commission, therefore they had God's hand of protection upon them more? Why was it that these smaller, maybe some would call them lesser churches were able to do for those saints at Jerusalem? I, I can't answer that question. All I can tell you is from my personal experience. I want you to hear my heart here. I don't want to come off as a, I don't want to come off as a snake oil salesman or a shyster in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But I want to tell you my, what has been my experience in my personal life, the life of my family, and the church that I pastor. You've heard that old saying, you can't outgive God. We learned that in missions. God would give us a figure, and I thought there's no one. The first year that we participated in Faith Promise Missions <clears throat> as a church, 
I had a dollar figure in my head, and Brother Chris, I thought if we could just make it to that mark, I'd be so thrilled. We hit 300% of that mark. And our church had always been small in number, and the bank account was smaller than that. We were fledgling. I'm just sharing my heart with you. Please understand my heart. Don't take me the wrong. You're looking at a pastor that cut his own salary out for to afford to pay me. And that church got a heart for missions and they started giving. And it was just amazing how that God began to supply and meet needs. And I want to say something right here. And I want to be understood very well with what I'm about to say. We don't support missionaries. We don't give to missions because we buy into the idea that you can't out give God, so I'll give God 100 and he'll give 120 back and I'll just draw. No, we give to missions because we're commanded to in the word of God and God owes us nothing. God's no man's debtor. He owes us not one single solitary thing. We give to missions because it's a command of God and we want to honor and glorify the one who loved us and gave himself for us. But I'm just telling you how he operates. When you're faithful to him, son, he, it's amazing what he done for that church and what he done for our family. And we were just, uh, <clears throat> I, I could take most of the night and tell you, but when God put missions in my family's heart, it's just amazing how I got a, I got an increase in income and then another increase in income. And because I wanted to give more to missions, I, I wasn't trying to buy uh, I wasn't trying to buy a house on a lake somewhere. I wanted to give more to missions. And God just enabled us to do that. He just did that. I don't know how y'all feel about all this stuff. And preacher listens to this. He might not ever let me get up here and preach again. But I'm going to tell you what God done for me. I so bad wanted me a white Ford. Now y'all Chevrolet men don't get put out with me. God will pull the scales off your eyes one day. I so badly wanted a white Ford F-250 with a 7.3 diesel. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Manual transmission, four-wheel drive. I wanted one bad. It wasn't a new vehicle. I just wanted one. But I, I also had a figure that I needed to give to me. So I knew that's what I needed to do. And I'm just human. You forgive me. But it went through my mind. Went through my mind, Sister Box. I said, if I give this to missions, I won't be able to buy that truck. But I went ahead and, and give what I was supposed to give to missions. And you know, before that year was over, God let me come across the most amazing deal on a truck. And would you believe, anybody want to guess what color it was? White, Ford, F-250. 7.3 manual four-wheel drive. Now listen, it was, you say, come on, preacher, you're telling me God's going to give you a new vehicle? No, sir, it's 20 years old when I bought it, but it's new to me. And I wanted one real bad. And God blessed me with finding one that I could afford and still meeting my obligation to missions. You say, I don't know if I believe all that don't make a bit of difference to me. I'm just telling you what God done for me. That just blessed my heart. You say, I won't know it. I'd stand up and brag too much about God letting me buy a 20-year-old used vehicle. It's a big thing to me, son. It was a big thing to me. Matter of fact, it's sitting out here in the parking lot tonight. I drove the wheels off that thing, and it's still going tonight. Paid for, too, by the way. 
Hallelujah. And I could go on just telling you tales, true stories about how God just blessed me and my family and that church through obedience. And again, I want to stress, I don't want to be misunderstood by you fine folk tonight. I'm not saying, I'm not part of this name it and claim it, health and wealth. And I hope and I think that you know me better than that. But I'm telling you that when we're faithful, just as these churches were faithful, God blesses. Somehow through this dearth, they managed to eat. They managed to survive. I don't know that they had a tremendous abundance, but I'll tell you what they did have. They had enough. They were able to send some excess down to Jerusalem to those folks that didn't do very well at getting involved in the Great Commission and supporting missions. I can tell you that. I can tell you that with a certainty. I'm so thankful, so very thankful that I probably would not be able with the limited vocabulary that I have, I wouldn't be able to express it to you. But when the Lord led us to resign the pastorate, we didn't know where we would wind up. But I'm so very thankful that the Lord in his gracious providence let us wind up in a church who believes in and practices and promotes faith, promise, missions. And we're here at that time of year, and it's one of the most exciting parts of the year to me. And so I just encourage you, be in prayer over it. And, um, you know, be in prayer over it. And whatever the Lord leads you to do, you do that. And I'll promise you this, you can trust him. I'll let you down. Any other man will let you down, but you can trust God. Me and that sweet little lady back yonder, have been around this country preaching the word of God and he's never he's never let us down. He's been so faithful, Brother Chris. So I got to stop. I can't keep telling stories all night. If you're not done hearing stories, see me after the service. But some of the rest of them is ready to go home. All right? So let's all stand if you would. Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll be dismissed. Brother Chris, would you close us in prayer, brother?